0: Okay, welcome to Inside the Firm. We have a treat for you, and that is that Lance is gone. So <laughs> in his stead, it just worked out perfectly. I have my old college roommate, Justin Minema. Say hi, Justin. Hello. Uh, Justin was in architecture. He was, you were on a, a you were a guest. Um, you kind of gave best and worst advice. Uh, do you want to remind everyone about yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, freshman roommates with Al Gore here, uh, friends ever since. Uh, now I'm in uh, higher education development,
0: uh, left architecture years ago and never looked back. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do something different today. Uh, we're going to do a Q&A. So Justin's going to ask me questions, and I gathered these from the Entree Architect uh, community, Facebook community. Um, so I just posted in there. I know we talk about their community all the time. Uh, it's Mark LePage's kind of Facebook group. But people send in a whole bunch. So Meetima is just going to hit me with some questions, and we'll go from there. Uh, So the first question is submitted by
1: Adam Mayberry. Uh, What system do you use to effectively delegate work uh, and ensure it gets properly done, especially for those uh, bread-and-butter type projects?
0: Okay. So bread-and-butter is, you know, typical stuff. Like uh, we do a lot of houses for developers. Um, So you could consider that bread-and-butter. Bread-and-butter could be anything that you're doing repeatedly. So the first thing, I think you got to think a little bit more broadly and back up. Our biggest thing for delegating work is training effectively when they get in. So we'll spend at least about a week training people in different videos, courses, stuff like that, um, so that they're, they're up to speed and they know how we want to model because that's going to reduce the amount of red lines and everything that goes on. The, the second thing is that when you're delegating, make sure that you explain the project clearly. And if, let's say, meet him as a new guy in our firm. He's coming back to architecture. Yay! <laughs> and I would try to bring him on the meetings with with the client or have the have him there taking notes so that he understands what's going on because I find the big problem in in delegating is that this even happened this week I thought I was being clear and then I get something back I'm like why are these numbers this way they're making a spreadsheet for me calculating some stuff um and like oh I thought you were talking about this kind of wall versus this kind of wall I go okay you know it is as easy as it sounds like being clear is actually hard it's 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 weird and then the third thing is that um, you're going to have to do red lines and, and, that, and know that when they say something's done, they're going to give it to you. And you think that you're going to just look over and turn it over to the client. It's not true. And you shouldn't think like that. You should plan in to do you, your red lines and then hand it back. Even if you think, oh, this was very small, because again, there's always that miscommunication. People are different and make them do the red lines instead of you just doing it. Because if you just take over and if you just do their, let's say five, I don't know, quote unquote mistakes, then you're going to have to do that forever. So discipline yourself to do red lines and give it back to them. And feel free if you, if something pops yeah. in your head, feel Will free.
2: we'll do.
1: Okay, this next one's uh, submitted by a familiar name, uh, Lance. Uh, <laughs> how do you put up with Lance and at the same time don't drink?
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So Lance sent in sent in a question. <laughs> he literally sent in a question. Um, so funny. So I, I don't really drink too, uh, too much anymore. So how do I deal with Lance? And how I deal with Lance is that there's a difference, and you guys should know this if you have a partner or you're hiring, uh, hiring someone. A difference between the veneer of a person and the core of the person, right? So the core of the person, whether they're a giver, whether they care about the project, whether they care about the team, whether they're there to help out and do the right thing, that's what you're looking for. The veneer of a person, they can be rough, they can be straightforward, they can be mean, they can, you know, and you don't want that, right? They, they could, but it, the veneer could be a nice person, a, you know, gregarious and all that, But if their core is selfish or taking or stuff like that, so that's where you really got to look. You got to keep that in mind too because know that you have flaws also. So they're also dealing with that too. So that's how I do it. So he's (laughs) good Uh, beyond the veneers? Beyond the veneer. (laughs) Veneer just...
1: (laughs) As he's taking a shot. No, Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. We have a couple from uh, Mark LePage. Uh, What's your favorite takeaway
0: from Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership? Awesome. Um, So... If you don't know, and because I know my old roommate doesn't know, this, <laughs> this is Jacko's book. I'm going to send you a copy. Got it. Are you a reader? Once in a while. Once in a while? If I send you a book, will you read it? Yes. Awesome. So um, the big, there's, there's a couple big things, and I'm going to go on the smaller thing that I'm trying to think about. So one of his big things is he always says uh, discipline equals freedom, right? So that means the more discipline that you are the more freedom that you'll have because you'll have time, money, and resources to actually do what you like, right? And the big one is the name of the book, Extreme Ownership. Again, owning that whatever you do, you're the one in in charge even if you're not in charge. So like I just said, oh, I explained clearly to my guys the red lines and they did it wrong. No, you know, there's different ways to interpret things. Uh, Maybe you were being fast. Maybe you were on the phone distracted when you were trying to send something over. So take extreme ownership. But... The best one, those are like the ones that I think everyone kind of understands, is the idea about positioning, right? So you can think about positioning and market, market, marketing, but you can think about it, I'm trying to understand it on a deeper level. And where this comes from is, is from the book is Chris Kyle. So if you don't know who Chris Kyle is, he was a, uh, actually the most kills for a sniper in U.S. history. I think he has 150 when he was in Ramadi. and the, I think it was 109 in Vietnam before that. And uh, I, they they just briefly touched on it. And I'm trying to think about pos- positioning and everything. And even, like, I'm putting it in the back of my head. So when I'm mowing my grass even, which is weird, like, you know where the high spots are because they get enough shade. And you know where it's just hell to keep grass, high, you know, not scorched in Colorado when there isn't any shades, right? But what what Chris Kyle did and... Remember they had a team of snipers in, in Ramadi. So and they're all trained, they're all Navy SEALs so they're all the, the toughest guys, you know, the most dedicated guys. And Jocko said, Well the difference was that Chris Kyle would always find the best position and he'd always be obsessed about it. So obsessed about it that he was now in the planning meetings like, Okay, what building are we gonna be on top and like saying, Okay, we, we need to move to this building because then I can see farther this way and then he would never take his eyes off the site where some guys after two to three hours on the site can be rather boring, right? Chris was, was always on there, right? So obviously that's a military tactic, but thinking about how it applies deeply into how, how you're positioning yourself, I think, I think there's a lot of value there. I don't know if I've unlocked it all, um, but hopefully, hopefully the wheels will start to turn.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the second one from Mark uh, is around productivity.
0: Uh, how do you get it all done? It's funny. This was, this was the hardest question because I, I, I don't think I get that much done. And, and then, and then like I was talking to my wife and I was like, well, I need to give my, let's pretend like I think that I get stuff done. Right. So how do I get stuff done? And I'd say that, well, the first way was the dumb way. It was just through brute force. Right. And that's from, you know, literally waking up at five in the morning. And I used to wake up at five, get dressed and just drive here for years right? Um, And then my wife, my um, when I would leave like Saturday, like I'd go outside to get something and like Atlas would start crying. And she's like, you do not spend enough time at home. So now I work from home in the morning and uh, all that. And I'd wake up at like, I'm waking up at 530, which I'm not happy with myself about. I'm relaxing a little too much. But the brute force way, I don't think is necessarily the, the smart way. Now there's some positives to that. And here's why it's not maybe the, the smart ways because us in college, I remember I remember you telling me, maybe not multiple times, but you know I would be in studio all the time. That's where I'd be. Yeah. And then we had some project and I think, uh, I can't remember what, what project it was, but you weren't being a mean about it because you weren't a mean guy, but you're like, why don't you just lock yourself away in your room and actually get some work done instead of being at studio jibber-jabbering the whole time. And I remember after like, you know, because I am a competitive guy, you'd, you'd always look at other people's projects, and and I'd know how much work you'd put in, which was more than more than average. But I go, Jesus, I spent twice as much time and him as is just as good, or he might have beat me. Like, like, you know how how does it, how does he do it, right? And now, what I am getting into, and what I think is key is that you need to shorten your feedback loop, and this is where actually now I can almost give myself a little bit of credit. So. Every task I do, I try to short my feedback loop. So I'm, I'm writing an email uh, yesterday, and this was at four, to two guys that were thinking about doing some futuristic building stuff with. And there's three proposals, right? Each guy wants a different way. And I, and I was almost going to spend time on each one. I'm like, this is four hours of work to, to go into why this might work, why this wouldn't work, all this other stuff. And I, and I had to say, like, I only have so much time those other opinions are their opinions. If they want to back them up, they can, I can spend an hour backing up which direction I want us to go. Right. And I could have spent. And, and the other thing too, is that if I would have sat there and told them why their idea wasn't going to work, that actually might work in reverse where they go, yeah, I see your point, but you know, it's like there's, there's some sort of longer loop. Yep. Yep. Um, so that, so whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing, I try to ask myself, where are the areas of opportunities and then how can I focus on them, right? So let's say we have a house and I know that the client is gangbusters about their kitchen, but doesn't want to spend $40,000 on windows, right? And windows I know make architecture look great. It makes the space. Well, I won't push my agenda and, you know, take time where, it might not have an impact. And that's what I'm trying to do is my feedback loop is, is informed by where I can have impact. Right? So I really narrow down my focus to where I can have the greatest impact. So I might then focus more on their kitchen where other projects I might not focus on, on their kitchen because they might just go to the supplier and and get it all banged out. And I don't want to only just push my agenda because that's going to then, uh, extend the amount of time that I have to work and I probably won't get my way. And then also I'm being a little bit arrogant if I try to give them $20,000 window budget above what they're doing. And they might say, it's nice. You might come back and say, Hey, Oh yeah, we love it. But did you take away from their uh, kids college fund? Like you don't know what they're trying to balance or not, and you don't want to ramrod it through. So um, it's, and, and I mean like everything I do is is, it's kind of ingrained with me with short my feedback loop. When we're building like the tiny houses, uh, I remember Lance, Lance was drinking, so he was hungover that day. And the day before, this was we came in on a Sunday. The guys on Friday they got like half of a wall done. So I'm dealing with hungover Lance. He was just fine. I'm just making fun of him, but he was. <laughs> and we finished their wall and then the rest of it because like every I go okay I'll he was hungover so well you stay up on the ladder I'll go up and down and I'll start chopping stuff and then we'll. Tag them in, and then you can just stand up there and hit them quick. And then I'll run down and run up and, and do it. Um, so I think that's where the productive productivity that I have comes in. Yeah.
1: I'll add one more on that. I think for me, I, every day there's something I I'm dragging my feet on and I don't get to. So I try to pick out one project, whether it's 30 minutes or whatever, that... First thing in the morning, before the phones start ringing, the emails start coming in. I try to knock that out. I'm most productive in the morning, and then I feel good. And yes, there's yeah. some psychology to that. Once you get that big thing
0: done, it's like starting that wheel.
1: Productive. Another one is to just try little easy things in the morning uh, and just build that momentum. Yeah, yep.
0: and know what I, on that have you? Th- so a lot. Your strength is often your weakness. So I th- I was thinking about that. How how is it your weakness too? And and here's how it's my weakness: is that if I don't care about something, I don't care about it at all. So we were walking from our apartment to to school one day and somehow like we had to write a paper for something and, and you had it in your hand. And you're like, you're like, wow, Gore, <laughs> you go, if you, you, you said this, you're like, if, if you don't want to do something, you really don't do it. So I, I was like, give me that. I looked at it, Oh yeah, that's a crappy paper. <laughs> so like e- even but, um, my, my room, my room would never be locked. In New York City, my parents came to New York, and then they found my room, and I was still in the subways, and they're like, I bet it's unlocked because it's Al's room, right, his apartment, because I, I just, I didn't care, right? But now that I have a kid, like every night, my room is locked, guns are up, you know, like, so just know, just know that there's a dichotomy to to mm-hmm. all these.
1: Mm-hmm. So this next one uh, we have from uh, Rachel Preston Prins, uh, what can... Uh, the architecture profession do uh, to help architectural education? I, the, profession uh, of the education.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if you're in the profession, how can you help uh, students in the education? Uh, I would say, and we, we've done this, uh, start going to your local university or tech schools or JUCO schools, whatever they call them, and see, ask them how you can help out and propose a course. And propose a course on a real project don't go into school this is just my opinion right you don't have to take it excuse me but <clears throat> go in and propose a course on let's say you do hospitals or let's say you do um home depots or whatever honestly kids are yearning for a real real feedback they want a real feedback loop too they realize that there's a disconnect even though some of these renderings and are some of these projects are fun and then if they say no or, hey, we don't, they'll probably be nice about it. They'll just say, we're, we're full. Do it, do it every year because what I've noticed is that sometimes schools will hire just because they're, they're in a pinch and they need someone and they don't have one and it just might not have been the right fit at that time. So you can influence by just going and, and actually teaching something real.
1: Great. Uh, next question from Josh uh, Kunkel. What accounting uh, and time tracking, et cetera, or setup do you all use here?
0: That that one's easy. Um, we track our time with Toggle. It's it's free. You can, you know, pay more if you want more features, but we use the free version. And then QuickBooks. So QuickBooks is the other one. Okay.
1: And then one uh, more, last one from uh, Maloud Masaudi. How um, do you adapt BIM into an architecture firm?
0: Okay. Um, so let's say you're you're going to adapt BIM. I just had <laughs> someone that used to work for us part-time came in and gave us some beer and then asked the same question. And she's younger. So what's happening a lot is that some of the older guys are saying, Hey, young person, just implement BIM. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a tall task for them. So I, I don't know how old this person is. Um, but even if, if, if you're a little bit elder, the first way, and I don't think every firm can do this is that, but the first way is to get everyone trained in Revit when you're implementing BIM. Because once you get trained in a system, now everyone can talk. And now when everyone can talk, what you want to do is you want to build up your template, right? Or your templates. You could have a residential one, a commercial one, or both if you do both, right? If you do sports facilities, you might have a sports facility one. You know, you could have one per the genre. But there's so much knowledge locked into your firm that unless everyone's talking that you're not going to get what you need out of that template. And then if everyone's not trained in a similar way, they're going to start this template and they're just going to mess models up. It's going to be a, a racket. It's going to be absolutely terrible. So like you'll spend all this time making all this and then they'll go in there and they'll use their all AutoCAD or SketchUp ways and it will be a nightmare for you. So try to get everyone trained first, get everyone's input, and then make, make your templates. Now, it you might not be able to do that. So you might just be, because they might say, I'm too busy. We're not going to pay for everyone, whatever. So now do it in reverse, but now you can't get all that feedback because everyone can't help you out and talk to the same system, but you're younger or maybe you're older and you just want to be fundamental and systematic about it. To implement BIM, you need to make a template. So ask for whatever template you're going to make, a resident, let's just say residential one, go to some People that have been there for a while and say, hey, what are your best, your four best residential projects? Ask for where they are and put them all into one folder and then dissect each one of them. Go look at each one and then start from the bottom up and say, oh, what footers do we use on all these four projects? Make all those footers. What foundation walls do we use? Make those. What floor boxes do we use? Look at all of them. Make and You can see where I'm going with this. Just Just build from the bottom up all the way to the roof and make your template from then and then say, hey, here you go. Everything will be more familiar to them. Uh, you can even take the, ta- when you make a wall, right? There's a description. You can put the wall description in there. So when you tag it, you just tag it once and it, it's good to go. Um, and then I would say, go somehow get everyone trained. Um, so yeah, that's how I think you should do it. Right? <laughs> um, is that it for questions? That's all. Do you have a curveball for me? No. I'm going <laughs> to put you on the spot. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of that, that segues, uh, into one thing that I've been working on for a while and that is, that is actually Revit training. So I put this question last for, for this reason is that I just spent the majority of my mornings (laughs) putting together a fundamental Revit course and it's based off of residential and it's based off of residential because everyone can understand a house. And once you understand the concepts of how these floors and these walls and everything goes together, then you can apply that to everything you're doing and you can build up from there. The thing that we do differently is that we model like it gets built. So this is, there's philosophy behind this course. And I talk about each section. I talk about the philosophy for decision-making. So then if I don't answer a question or you're trying something new, you can think, what was the philosophy? And then follow that through, right? Right. And the philosophy is model like it gets built. And the reason why you want to model like it gets built is that when people are learning, getting trained, then they know how the building's going to work. So then once they model it and get out there, it's going to match what they already did. So it will reinforce their – it will increase their feedback loop and make that feedback loop tighter. So then when they see something out in the field that they need to do, they know – hey, I'm not going to fake this in some way. I literally need to model how it's built. So I see something out there or they tell me something. Now I have to think in my head, process it, and then make it that way in Revit. So that's one of the fundamental philosophies. Um, The thing that's cool about this course, so I got to thank Evan Troxel. Um, He's an Speak podcast. You guys probably know about him. He told me to go get Teachable and pay Teachable to host it. And the reason why is that and then he also told me break it down into like three to five minute little things um, is because Teachable will will track you and it sets it up and it's really nice so you can have your files and everything. So let's say you only have 10 minutes. So you watch one movie, it was seven minutes long. You go to the next one and you only get you know two minutes into it. It, it holds your place. And then you can search for the, uh, the different things easily. You can say, oh, I forgot how to do a wall or, or whatever. And it's only three to five minutes so that you can find it more easily. Um, and then the other thing, uh, um, about that is that the other thing that we do different is that we don't just introduce the concepts of walls or floors to you. We have you build a whole project so that when you're done with it, you have a little mini CD set so you can understand the whole scope again. So you don't just understand little pieces or, hey, here's how you do a roof that isn't tied to anything. When you're making a roof, it's because you just made the walls and how you made the roof is related to the ceiling because they're different parts. And if it's modeled how it gets built, you have your framing walls first and then your exterior walls on the outside because a lot of times they go over your floor box, right? Or your ceiling is on the inside of your studs. So when you're doing material takeoffs, everything is accurate because you're modeling how it gets built. So go to uh, insidethefirmpodcast.com um, and you'll find a little link to it. It's also at uh, Revit Rocketship, because I like rockets, uh, <laughs> revitrocketship.teachable.com. Um, and then if you enter in 25 and then the percent sign and then dash off, you get 25% off. Um, So there's different ways to pay. There's the full amount and then there's, um, you know, you can pay monthly and all that. And then there's like a VIP where you get some extra stuff. Um, So look into all that. Um, At least go look into it if you're thinking about transitioning to Revit uh, because I think it will really help you. I'm actually really, really excited about this course. And we've had people take it. And then we've had people take this course before we, you know, announced it and let it out. They were so happy, I'm not even lying about this, that they flew out here to get even more training on their own dime. And then I said, as long as you're out here. Actually, they flew out here twice. <laughs> so the first time I forgot, but the second time I said, I need to film you and, like, ask you, like, what did you think, blah, blah, blah. So if you don't believe me, you can, you can see them. The two girls are awesome, and, and they talk about it and, and give you a little, you know, inside what they thought about it. So that, that's the huge announcement that I've been... Uh, Losing some sleep on. You know what? That's probably why I've been waking up late because I've gotten done with that. I need a new task, Justin. Yes. I need something new to do.
1: Look at your list. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, so please do that. Uh, and then now uh, is a good time to break and, and let's go to Nick Reads.
2: Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A oh, reading. New research shows that advice-seeking is a surprisingly effective strategy for exercising influence when we lack authority. In one experiment, researcher Katie had people negotiate the possible sale of commercial property. When the sellers focused on their goal of getting the highest possible price, only 8% reached a successful agreement. When the sellers asked the buyers for advice on how to meet their goals, 42% reached a successful agreement. Asking for advice encouraged greater cooperation and information sharing, turning a potential contentious negotiation into a win-win deal. Studies demonstrate that across the manufacturing, financial services, and pharmaceutical industries, Seeking advice is among the most effective ways to influence peers, superiors, and subordinates. A passage from Give and Take, written by Adam Grant. Alexa, play Shoop. Toodles!
0: Okay.
1: Alexa's listening somewhere and and sending our conversations to (laughs) someone. Yeah.
0: So what what did you write down?
1: well uh this uh, the transition i made i went into higher education development another fancy word for fundraising and one of the things we uh live by are uh those who ask for money get advice those who ask for advice get money wow Uh, that's awesome it, it lines up with this where uh i think you have much broader deeper conversations as you start talking about advice before you get to to your end goal, whatever that is.
0: Yeah. Well, that's... I, I really like that. Could you, um, I don't know, give us a, a scenario or something like... Not a... Just an example. It could be a general example.
1: General, just uh, advice. You want uh, people to feel like stakeholders and yeah. that they they are um, important to the process and that uh, you kind of acknowledge that they might have better ideas than you're walking in with or uh, whatever that may be. And that, that just in any uh, relationship that helps when yeah. people actually care about your thoughts
0: yeah so we have a guy from uh, ndsu that's uh we're gonna set up a fund um and what he uh he i mean he he's doing the same thing and, and it works brilliantly and and he goes what do you guys want to do with the money you know wanting you to be in charge what's your passion what do you like about you know your school and stuff like that um, and we're going to set it up, and it's all great, and I, I think he's a great guy. I think you should meet him. Have you met him yet? We'll talk about it. Anyways, um, so I was trying to think, okay, we're going to set up this fund, and it's going to give some money to students, and then, you know, what, what do I want to do? And then I thought, holy cow, why don't we ask the students what they want to do? And literally, what if that was – because I remember when I was in college, I thought I had good ideas. What if the fund was and, – and this is literally just brainstorm, not that we're going to do it, but – um, hey, propose what you want to do with this money. <laughs> and then if it's a good idea, we'll give it to you, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's my child. So we'll pause this, and my baby just came Atlas to the office. Here. <laughs> okay, uh, so I know that was two seconds for you guys, but that was, what, 15 minutes of hanging out with Atlas at the office. Um, my, my other thought, in this, it's not just ask for advice. I think you could reframe it and ask questions first so i'll give another story about me uh, <laughs> you, you, you like this I'm never coming back <laughs> so your thesis i remember your thesis presentation and you went out to seattle and it was some it was like a pier what was the building
1: uh ferry terminal
0: ferry terminal and on it on his presentation set up He'll remember this better than me, but he basically went and asked. He talked to people, community people. I don't. Who were they? Uh,
1: there's a port commissioner, which is an elected position. A developer. Yep. Some locals. Whatever. A mix. Yep. yep.
0: So it, this is so simple, but it's so smart. Is that when he was given his presentation, he, you know, he said, "Okay, I went and talked to these people, and then asked them what they wanted, and then presented their, and then did that." So like, how much does that shorten the feedback loop? What, compared to other theses and stuff like that, where you don't you don't go out and ask stakeholders, you don't ask your client. And Lance and I have talked about this a lot. Every time we go and meet with a client, we have a list of questions to ask them, and it's sort of this the same thing is that you're letting them into the game and 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 really telling you. So it's like giving yourself a softball pitch, basically. Um, so that's my other thought for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anything else there?
1: No, I I mean the. Yeah, when you don't have that authority, I think you're indicating as somebody you care a lot and yeah. um, not that you can be manipulative about it, but no. uh, yeah. as you, I, I do agree with that. You're gaining the influence.
0: Okay, last segment before we get out of here. Everyone's trying to get out for Memorial Day weekend or whatever you're doing. Uh, we'll bring in the guys for ARE Jeopardy. Okay, we are back with ARE Jeopardy. And Minima, this is where we ask the guys questions. I think the official stats, I think Gresh is 97-0. <laughs> I'm i getting test stares from the other two guys. So that means we will kick it off with the first question. Which phase generally generally requires the most time? A, the concept phase. B, schematic design. C, design development. Uh, D, construction documents. So apparently we're changing it to ABCs now. <laughs> do, do, do 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 You guys ready? You want me to read it again? Most time. So what takes the most time? Which phase? Uh, concept design, schematic design, design development, or construction documents? Okay, we got B, Jason, I already read <laughs> B, D, last is D. D is correct. Uh, construction docks. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out in our firm that way because we are so efficient. But that is what takes everyone else so long. It's
1: to be like 65% or yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question. A mechanics leans. Uh, what do they do? A provide support to temporarily uh, hold up mechanical equipment. Provides security for payment for labor and materials supplied to construct the building Releases workers liability That's C. Sorry or D releases owners liability from subs installation So again a mechanics liens a provides support to temporary holdup mechanical equipment B provides security for payment for labor and materials supplied to construct the building C Releases workers liability or D releases owners liability from subs installation.
0: Do 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 do. All right. C, D, and D, the answer is B. So this is this is why it was tricky. So two of them were related. But it wasn't either one of them. So that was uh, provide workers' liability – or releases workers' liability. So what a mechanic's lien is, let's say you guys build my, my building and I don't pay you. You can put a lien on the building. It's called a mechanic's lien. Architect can do it. Engineer can do it, all that. And it's B, provides security for payment for labor and materials supplied to the uh, to construct the building. Because you can't get your labor back. You can't get your materials back. So you can basically say – and what – some people don't like about that. Let's say you, you're a sub and I pay the contractor, but he doesn't pay you. You can still do it mm-hmm. because then it forces this whole conundrum and all that, but that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, question three, a sill seal sealer is normally located at A, between the top of the foundation and the base of the wood sill plate, B, at the base of the windows, C around floor drains, D at roof truss heel plates. So, A between the top of the foundation and the bottom of the wood sill plate, uh, B at the base of windows, C around floor drains, D at f- roof truss heel plates. A, 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 you guys are right. Everyone wins on that one. Everyone's a winner. Are you, are you keeping score over there? Yeah, here? I'm okay, keeping score. Good. good.
1: Okay, uh, last but not least, uh, Sir Christopher Wren is most known for, a little. I'm thinking of Ronald Ramsey right now at NDSU, yeah. a little shout-out to Ron. Uh, Sir Christopher Wren is most known for A, Westminster Abbey, B, St. Paul's Cathedral, C, Buckingham Palace, Or D, the rebuilding of London after the Great Fire of 1666? Sir Christopher Wren, most known for A, Westminster Abbey, B, St. Paul's Cathedral, C, Buckingham Palace, or D, the rebuilding of London after the Great Fire of
0: 1666? While you're thinking about that, I'll add secret answer E, which don't write this down. Uh, His his friend Robert Hooke said, since the time of Archimedes, there's... Scarce ever met they like to talk weird back then in one man in so great perfection, such a mechanical hand and a philosophical mind. so you could have wrote if you would have wrote that all down,
2: just declared Longest you winner of
0: winner of life. okay, what do we got what do we got b a b um so the answer is uh d. ABCD, the rebuilding of London after the Great Fire of 1666. But I will give you B because he also did St. Peter's Cathedral. St. Paul's. St. Paul's. So, we. Jason wins. Wait, you J- that one? You won that one. On a technicality. On a technicality. but I thought, I thought No, I got a zero for Dress. You were tied. And you got technicality uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. There we go. All right. Thank you, guys. It's the shirt. You got to wear the shirt. All right. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Again, if you want to support us, there's a couple ways that you can do it. You can go to, um, let me get the address here. It is revitrocketship.com. teachable.com revit rocket rocket ship.teachable.com there you can look at the revit kind of summer course it's a summer course um over the next couple of weeks there's going to be some other podcasters and other people that you know that are going to be uh in the course doing the course and uh talking about it so join them this summer everyone's learning revit um another a shout out to evolving architect go take a look at what they're doing over there uh there's videos uh there's an email sign up, giving out great information, um, a great place to, to learn and, and start and know about the profession. Uh, shout out to evolvingarchitect.com. And again, hey, if you like this, you know, r- give us a rating, write whatever you want, um, and if you do, I'll give you a PDF of our book, The C- Creativity Code. Huh. Creativity Code. I can't talk. We got to wrap this up. Uh, AKG at... Uh, f9productions.com is where you can reach me. Thanks again, everyone, and we will see you next time.